I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hi, John. Hello, John. How are you today? I'm doing well in yourself. Oh, I'm doing good. Back in North Carolina, you know, we're here, we're in the new year. Uh, I spent the uh, end of December back home in Alaska, and it was very, very cold. Well, and, to be uh, fair, I'm... it was Alaska. I mean... Yeah, no, I mean, it was appropriate. There's nothing wrong with it. And I knew what I was getting into, but uh, having not been back to Alaska in the winter for a while, uh, it's nice to be back in the South. That's good to hear. I was up in New York visiting family myself, and it was like New York is all over the place. And it was, yeah. I mean, it's nice to be able to sit and recharge for a little bit with family and, you know, now back at it and getting ready to go, you know? And here we go. What are we talking about today, John? Today, we are talking about the 2019 hit Hades Town book lyrics and music by Anais Mitchell based on the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. Hades Town opened on April 17th, 2019 and is still running. Uh, when I was putting this document together in the end of November of 2021, it had played for 477 performances. That number is undoubtedly higher now. Hades Town was directed by Rachel Shavkin with choreography by David Newman and music direction by Liam Robinson. The original cast included Reeve Carney as Orpheus, Ava Noblezada as Eurydice, Andre DeShields as Hermes, Patrick Page as Hades, Amber Gray as Persephone, and Jewel Blackman, Yvette Gonzalez Nasser, and Kay Trinidad as the Fates. 80s Town was nominated for 14 Tony Awards and won eight, including Best Musical, Best Orchestrations, and Best Performance by an Actor in a Featured Role in a Musical for Andre DeShields. Hades Town opens with Hermes introducing the characters of the play, including Orpheus and Eurydice, the Fates, the gods Hades and Persephone, and of course, himself. Next, Eurydice enters. Along with the fates, Eurydice describes the harsh setting of this story, a land stuck in cold, dead winter, suffering from famine. Orpheus, Hermes' ward, sees Eurydice and instantly falls in love. He approaches her and tells her he's going to be the man to marry her. Eurydice is doubtful. Orpheus tells Eurydice that he is working on a song that will bring spring back and end the struggles of the people, but it's not finished yet. Eurydice convinces Orpheus to sing his song anyway, and as he does, a single flower comes to life, but the song is still unfinished. Eurydice urges Orpheus to finish the song. Hermes interjects, asking Orpheus where he heard that song. He says, it just came to him. We learn that the melody of this song was the same one that Hades used to woo Persephone. We also learn that the world is stuck in winter because Persephone, who brings summer with her presence, is stuck down in Hades town. 
Their deal is that for six months of the year, Hades lets Persephone walk up on the earth, bringing life with her, but that deal has been less than honored? However, as all of this is being explained, Persephone arrives back to the world on the train from Hadestown and brings with her the chance for Eurydice and Orpheus to truly fall in love. Just as things are looking up, Hades comes early to collect Persephone and bring her back to Hadestown. Hermes and the ensemble sing of the prosperity that exists down in Hadestown, but offer the warning, those who go, they don't come back. Eurydice is intrigued. As Persephone leaves, winter returns, and Eurydice goes back to scrounging for food and firewood, urging Orpheus to finish his song so that spring can return. Meanwhile, in Hadestown, tensions build between Hades and Persephone. Hades heads out of town to find someone who will appreciate what he and Hadestown have to offer. He finds Eurydice and invites her to join him. With the cold getting colder, she sees no other choice and joins him. Orpheus discovers that Eurydice is gone and makes up his mind to rescue her from Hadestown. Hermes provides him with instructions for how to get there. Act 1 ends with Eurydice arriving in Hadestown and signing the contract with Hades to become one of his workers, building the wall to keep them all free by keeping out the enemy, poverty. Act 2 opens with Persephone serving the workers of Hadestown at a speakeasy she runs behind Hades' back. Eurydice is beginning to realize what her fate holds, becoming a forgotten worker in Hadestown, trapped forever unless Hades agrees to let her go. She laments her decision as her memories of her old life begin to fade away. Orpheus arrives in Hadestown. Because Eurydice signed the papers to work for Hades of her own accord, she can't leave. Hades orders his workers to attack Orpheus, and the fates tell him to give up hope. Orpheus is undeterred, vowing to find a way to save Eurydice. His commitment to her inspires both the workers and Persephone. While the workers question whether they have really gotten the freedom that Hades offered them, Persephone begs Hades to let Eurydice go. Hades offers Orpheus the chance to sing his song, since he's going to kill him anyway. Orpheus sings his completed song and reminds Hades of his love for Persephone. The two gods reconcile, and Orpheus again promises Eurydice that they will stay together, no matter how hard it may be. Orpheus asks Hades if they can leave, and now Hades faces a choice. He can kill them and make them martyrs to his workers, or he can let them go and risk losing control he has over Hadestown. Hades makes Orpheus a deal. He and Eurydice may leave on one condition. Orpheus has to lead them out without turning back to look at Eurydice. If he looks back, she must remain in Hadestown forever. Hermes reinforces the seriousness of this deal, and Orpheus and Eurydice begin to head out of Hadestown as the workers look on hopefully. Persephone and Hades, meanwhile, decide to give their relationship another shot. As Orpheus and Eurydice near the end of their journey, Orpheus gives in to his doubts, expressed by the fates, and turns back to ensure that Eurydice is following him, condemning her to a life of labor in Hadestown. 
The show ends with Hermes reflecting on this tale and why it must be told as spring returns to the world. After the final bow, the ensemble toasts in honor of Orpheus and to those who follow his path. Okay. So, yeah, this is one of those shows that um, when it came out in 2019, pretty much everyone I know was like, wow, this show is amazing. And because I'm stubborn and because I was working on my doctorate, I just didn't listen to it. Uh, it just had other things going on. But it was one of those shows that I wanted to make sure that I made the time to listen to. And I am so glad that we are talking about it now because this is just a really, really great show. And because this is uh, Musical Minutes with John and John, the first thing that we have to talk about is the fact that this show uses a band on stage and it does it really, really well. Exactly. You know, there are shows that have bands on stage and you're like, oh, cool, band on stage and that's it and it's done and it's over with. This one is exemplary in its usage because of not just being on stage, but really the integration of it. Uh, there's the use of a, a, a trombone player who moves in and out of the scene during their solos and dance breaks. And it's just the organicness of it, but also there's without going into hyperbole i don't want to say profundity but there's a meaningfulness to it it's not just hey we have to include blah blah on stage or we have to do this they did it for the point of the story they did it for the purpose of furthering that plot in that story and it's just it's beautiful to watch yeah the so the aesthetics of of the music and the staging and the the telling of this story to my mind really fall into that kind of new orleans jazz club tradition and the band exists on stage in that kind of an environment and as you said the trombone player moves through the action when he has solos and they're doing dances and it really just it makes the environment that you're watching as you're watching this musical feel very very real and it also makes you feel like you're a part of it as opposed to an audience member sitting sort of removed from the action. Yeah. And they even take it a step further because you also like some other shows we've talked about, we actually have actors playing as well, which if you know anything about Greek mythology and Orpheus in particular actually fits like it, it makes it even better because Orpheus was a musician and I mean, they, it's a plot point in the show, you know, and, and including them in this music making in this manner, again, just ties into that final product to make it even better. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to point out that it, it wasn't done like a gimmick. There have been productions and there have been shows where all the actors play instruments and that's how the band exists. This, this was not done that way. There are certain people who play instruments and there are certain people who don't. And it, it genuinely makes sense in the storytelling of Hades Town that the people who play instruments would play those instruments. Yeah, and, and you know, I really like it. It's funny because I know we're going to get into this in a moment, but we talked about this a little bit in, in kind of our discussion leading up to recording. This show has a lot of superficial yet not story related, but technical similarities to Great Comet, which we've talked about before, that when we dug a little bit deeper made a lot of sense. And 
it's it's that same overwhelming kind of integration both ways band on stage but also um, actors playing instruments that made great comet so successful that we're seeing here and it turns out i mean in the super surface you know finding out who directed this which was rachel shavkin turns out also the director for pierre and 1812 and it kind of made a lot of things click for me and also made me realize that i am absolutely in love with Rachel Shavkin's directing style. One of the things that struck me about uh, Pierre in 1812 and Hadestown was the, the concept that the staging and everything contained therein was incredibly stylized, but it was done so in service to the story, in service to the plot, in service to the performance. And it's funny because it feels a little unusual to talk about staging as a character because it's on its on the surface staging can't have can't be a character because it 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 is it is a tool it is an object that you use to help create character but so much of what Shavkin does in this show and also in 1812 heightens everything that the actors do it makes it more impactful more meaningful yeah it's 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 great and i i know exactly what you're saying about the staging and i'm going to take it one step further here because you do hear people talk about setting and scenery as a character and one of the things that uh this production the original production of Town, does that is just so smart and so simple is using a trap door for people to come and go from the real world into Hades town. And it, it, you know, I wrote in my breakdown notes for this uh, uh, script that it seems like the obvious choice for getting to hell to use a trap door, but it's so much more than that in this show. The direction elevates it to become symbolic and to become representative of so many things and it really does become its own character in terms of watching people come and go and seeing the transition and taking what is a unit set effectively this one room that the whole thing is presented in but through this trap door that slowly comes and goes allowing us to visually become aware of when we're in Hades town versus when we're up on earth it's just it's really really smart yeah, and ultimately, I I would argue, argue being a strong term, I would state that this is one of those shows that we've talked about. We've talked about a couple of shows like this in the past. This show is really the sum of all of its parts. The music is solid and phenomenal. The staging is, is solid and phenomenal. The sets, the lighting, like this is a show that exists as a complete package. The cast album is fantastic. And and I mean, we are musicians and that's one of the things that draws us into some of this stuff. And the music is wonderful, but this show benefits from a physical viewing in some shape or form to really drive the importance of it home. Yeah, I think that is absolutely fair. And it is, it's really great to see, quite frankly, because theater and musicals they're integrated art forms and occasionally that really doesn't happen as successfully as 
you see it happening in Hades Town. Oh, absolutely. But speaking of the music, there was something that kind of stuck out in your world um, that I have thoughts and feelings about, but I'm curious. Vocal ranges, which is always a, 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 a contentious topic amongst performers. So have at it. Okay, so uh, yeah, there are two characters in this show who demonstrate the extremes of the male vocal range. And that is Orpheus singing very, very high for much of the show. And Hades singing insanely low for the entirety of the show. I mean, his part is just buried in the basement. And so I I don't come here to critique either of those performances or the writing in either of those cases. Like it's musically effective and it perfectly makes sense, particularly for Hades, that he would just be a very low voiced bass. But golly, it is going to be hard for people to do this in the future with those ranges. I mean, you can probably find guys who can flip into their falsetto and hit all the notes for Orpheus in a more or less compelling and convincing way. It's not my favorite range, but that's just because I'm bitter and I have a low voice and I can't hit any of those notes. (laughs) But on the flip side, there are very, very, very few people who are going to be able to actually sing and project in the range that uh, Patrick Page does as Hades. I mean, Again, I have a low voice. I can't hit some of those notes. It is way down there. No, I'm, I'm with you. And my gut reaction, and I will say my gut reaction with no, no research, no scholarship, this is my gut guess. And inevitably, when we come back and we talk about shows like this again, and it turns out I'm proven completely wrong, well, then... Fine, we'll say I'm proven completely wrong. And I'm wondering if it has anything to do with the subject matter. So we're talking um, Orpheus in the Underworld, which old Greek mythology, which would have been covered and has been covered, this kind of idea of, of Greek mythology as music in Baroque opera, where you would have had the beginnings of, first of all, the the basso profundo, which would have been the bass voice that sits low in the register, usually either a father figure or a villain in this case. And I'm I'm not going to go full out and say that Hades is like a villain with a capital V, but he's not the good guy of the show. He's Um, the antagonist, that's fair. And your traditionally in some but not all baroque operas would have been your male lead would have been castrati this is again i am guessing here i am not saying that the role of orpheus is intended to be honorific of the castrati tradition um, we're not going to define Castrati. Uh, we're not going to define that here. All y'all can go to Wikipedia, leave your safe search on, and you can look it up and I don't find think out. They have pictures. It was there's no pictures. It's the like 1600s. Look, I don't know what Google is going to show when you Google Castrati. I'm not brave enough to do it. So my guess would be that this is kind of a little bit of a nod to that without actually going into 
um the idea of i mean because then you get trouser roles well could orpheus have been a woman but no you want it to be a, a male identifying role castrati's aren't a thing anymore maybe this is kind of a wink and nod to it i'm guessing i i, I am not definitively saying this is it but my gut tells me greek tragedy basso profundo castrati tradition that's what that that's where i would go huh okay maybe that's the reason for these ranges and i will tell you straight up right now if we're ever fortunate enough and i i don't know that we will you know there there's there was always this concept of a show would go on be on broadway then it would go on tour then it would go on tour again and eventually it would work its way down to uh amateur rights I don't know if Hades Town is one of those shows that will ever work its way down to amateur rights. Or if it will, it won't be anytime soon. So I don't know that this is necessarily a problem or a concern to have about the show. I hope it is because I would really like to do this show someday. Um, unless they want to bring me on to music direct, I don't know, the, the first Broadway revival of it. and Sign me up. Um, you can have your people call my people. Uh, my people is me, so you can give me a call, and I will be more than happy when you decide to revive this show to be your music director. That's great, um, and then I'll get a chance to do it. It'd be nice to believe that there's a connection to an older style in terms of those vocal ranges. And look, I, again, I don't, I don't come here to critique them. They're they're perfectly valid and they're very very effective in the musical. It's just they're really hard to find people who can do that well. So, I mean, credit to the performers. Again, Patrick Page, brilliant as Hades. And Reef Carney, killing it as the, the greasy Orpheus. But, like, that's going to be tough moving forward for them. Oh, absolutely. And this show has made me realize that I have had an unconscious theater crush on Patrick Page for a very long time now. Uh, when we were looking into his backstory. Now, I know Patrick Page because when I was, uh, several years ago, I was doing a production of uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is a Disney-esque version of the Disney movie. So what they did was they took, they took the Disney movie, they restored the original ending where basically everyone dies, uh, there are no cute, fluffy gargoyles. Um, there are gargoyles, but they are not cute nor fluffy. It's actually very dark, and it, it's funny. It never ended up making it to Broadway. They ended up just releasing it for amateur rights. And it is the only Disney show that I know of, or that I've had experience with, to say the least, that isn't Disney's X. If you go and look at some of the, the licensing houses for the shows that are available, it is Disney's Beauty and the Beast, Disney's The Little Mermaid, Disney's yada, 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 so on and so forth, even into the kids' shows, Disney's Tarzan Jr. With Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's not like that. It's just literally the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So all of this setup is really just to talk about the role of Frollo, which, as for those of you who are vaguely familiar with the Hunchback of Notre Dame, is the bad guy. He's a very bad guy. Very in, in 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 this show they pull no punches. He is the bad guy, and Patrick Page originated the role of Frollo in the English speaking version um, at La Joya and Paper Mill, which is where it was done regionally before they decided to release it for amateur rights. And his 
performance of Hellfire from the show is chilling. They lower the key so it's fitting more into the range you hear with Hadestown. So it's not in the same key that you hear in the, the animated movie. And he just goes to town on it. And just that that dark velvet chocolate voice that he has drips with contempt and hatred and just it's an amazing amazing voice and then it turns out we've talked about a patrick page show before in the much lamented spider-man turn off the dark where he originated norman osborne and the green goblin and i'll be honest that one snuck up on me because I didn't recognize him at first. It was it was a little bit out of of character for him, for, well, for lack of a better I term. Mean, he was a villain. He was a villain, but it also didn't have him, you know, singing the pedal tones. Like there weren't those low notes where you're just rumbling and go yas. Um, <laughs> he yeah, does. When when we discovered that, I immediately you can hear it particularly in that scene when for some reason he's playing the piano on the top of the Empire State Building. Like, oh yeah, that's him. That's uh, him. Okay, no, yeah, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. So, is there anything else? that you'd like to say about Hadestown? No, I feel like we've said our fill. Um, if you can go see it, see it. It's still playing. You won't regret it. And if you can't go see it, uh, the original Broadway cast recording is on all of those places you listen to music. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.